0: Ecclesiastes chapter 11, I'll read the first two verses. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Let's pray once more. Lord God, do not let our sinfulness and dullness drag us down and deafen and destroy us this morning. Lord God, will you help your servant to speak and help your people to hear. Grant an understanding to everybody in this place. Oh God, we need you. We need you to teach us, to uphold and uplift us. Grant grace to us. Lord God of heaven, now that your spirit may speak your word to our souls, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've yet reached the point at which you're looking back over 2023. Maybe you wait until, some of you are already sighing and puffing. Maybe you you wait until after Christmas when the new year is looming. Maybe you're already starting to plan 2024 and you're reviewing and assessing and looking ahead. You might look back over uh, perhaps a term if you're at school. You might look back over a year. You might even, uh, from time to time, and it's good practice to do this, look back over your life. As a whole, in generations past, one of the habits of holy men and women, perhaps at the turn of the year or perhaps on their birthdays, was to stop, to set aside time, to take away distractions and with an open Bible and on their knees before the Lord to assess the life that they had lived and to think about what had been accomplished for their God and what yet remained for them to do. People review their investments. Perhaps you you check from time to time your bank balance, for example. Or perhaps you've uh, you've got some savings or you've got uh, an ISA or something of that nature. And you're thinking, well, what have we got? What have we put there? What is available to us? When you make that kind of review, when you look over a year or a season or a lifetime, does it feel worthwhile Or does it feel worth less? Now that may depend upon your mood at the time. It may depend upon the circumstances. We tend to think quite short term. We can look back at recent gloom and it sort of casts a shadow over everything that has gone before. Do you do that individually? Do we do it as a church? Do we think about what we've got to show for the work which we have done and for the investments that we have made parents what have you got to show do you have children what's your return on your investment teachers Sunday school teachers I'm thinking of how many lessons have you taught over a lifetime of labour over a year, what have you got to show? If you're someone's friend, perhaps you've been investing in them and caring for them, what have you got to show? How many doors have we knocked on as a church? How many leaflets or tracts have we given out? How many coffees have been drained or or, or tea cups emptied as we've told people about the Lord Jesus Christ? perhaps as husbands or wives or children or parents. We've spoken to our family members because we want them to know Christ Jesus. As pastors, preachers, how many sermons have I preached this year? How many Bible studies? What have I got to show? As a church if you took the aggregate of all those kinds of labours and investments, what has come of it? You come to a prayer meeting and you get another newsletter from another church that we know. You perhaps recognise the name if you don't recognise the face. Geographically, you've got an idea of where they are in the world. And as our friends this morning for whom we've just prayed, we've got a note from them or a letter from them saying, we're doing this, please Pray for fruit. We've made these investments. What is there to show? How many sermons have been preached then? How many lessons have been taught? How many conversations have we had? How many letters have you written? How many texts have you sent? How many emails have you tapped out? How many tracts have you dropped through doors? How many articles have you written? How many essays? How many CU meetings have you organised or attended or taught? How many gifts have you given? How much good have you tried to do? And are you ever disappointed? Are you ever discouraged? Either because of where we're at or because what we read of others. Do you sometimes feel... What is the point? Do you get tempted to hold back or to give up? Because no matter how hard you work, it seems not just pointless, but sometimes thankless that it gets thrown back in your face. I want you this morning to listen to a preacher, but I want you to listen to two preachers. I want you to listen to me as I preach the word of God to you, but I'm preaching the words of a preacher. The the man who writes the book of Ecclesiastes is introduced to us as a preacher, as an instructor. The words of the preacher, chapter 1 and verse 1, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And he is wrestling in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's full of of wisdom and help if we understand it accurately. Uh, Real life in a fallen world. And as we come toward the end of the book, this man who's had to deal with vanity upon vanity, emptiness upon emptiness, who's wrestled through what the world seems to offer and what it in fact holds out or fails to hold out, is beginning more and more to exhort us with regard to what is true and what is real and what is lasting. And as he uh, writes at the beginning of what we call chapter 11... He exhorts us, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. What I want to focus on this morning is that first verse with a little light from the second. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. There's a call from the preacher. There's comfort from the preacher, and then there are some counsels, and they're more from this preacher than the other one. What then is the call that the preacher issues? Cast your bread upon the waters. Cast your bread upon the waters. Now, this verse is, as I've discovered, notoriously difficult. The illustration is less clear than the lesson. You all kind of read it and you know what it's meant to say, but what it actually says is not particularly easy. There are at least three possibilities here. Because when you think about casting your bread upon the waters... Uh, What does that mean? Is it, you know, throwing a loaf of mother's pride into a pond? What, What does that mean? Are you going to get a lump of soggy bread that floats back later on? What does the preacher mean when he says cast your bread upon the waters? Three possibilities. The first of them may be commerce. It's a commercial image. Now, if the preacher is Solomon... In 1 Kings chapter 10, we're told that Solomon was a great trader by sea. He sent out his ships from a port called Ezion-Geber, and they came back after three years voyaging with wealth that had been gained by Solomon's trading. It's possible then that this is a commercial image that the preacher's saying, load up your ships with your goods and send them out that they may come back. Is that casting your bread upon the waters? Some people suggest it's an agricultural image. Apparently there are particular places. Uh, Egypt is one distinct example that some suggest that down by the Nile you would cast your bread, your corn into the shallow waters of the Nile. It would sink down and that would be moist and fruitful soil so that you'd look like you were throwing your your bread, your seed, into the the waters, but that would actually then bring its return. Other people suggest that it's more philanthropical or charitable. And that's the light from verse 2. Give a serving to seven, yes, also to eight. Uh, Provide. For lots of people, not just seven, this distinctive number of completeness, but even to eight, because you don't know what evil will be on the earth. So those are the possible illustrations, commercial, agricultural or charitable. But in each of them, I think you get the point, that there's an investment to be made, that there's something that you give that there's something that you do in the hopes of getting something back. And I want to apply that spiritually this morning to gospel labour. Cast your bread upon the waters. And by gospel labour, brothers and sisters, I do not mean only, although I might mean primarily speaking gospel truth. Because there are many, many ways as we've already hinted, at which we can serve God in our generation. And you need not stand in a pulpit or behind a lectern in order to make many gospel investments and to bring about this work. So then, taking into account that general sense of an illustration, what is the preacher's call, "'Cast your bread upon the waters.'" The language of casting is of freely and liberally bestowing something. If you were casting your seed when we were just singing, broadcast it. And we think of broadcasts in terms of radio signals or uh, television or uh, Wi-Fi. That's broadcast. But it's agricultural language. You cast it broadly. You fling it aside. You, you scatter it Abroad, And that's the kind of language here. Don't hoard what God has given you. Don't hold on to these things as if their preciousness is involved in you having them rather than you using them. To cast here involves something of boldness. It's the language almost of a holy risk. I don't mean foolishness, but holy risk. It's someone who is not being crippled by fear nor shackled by minute calculations. If it's Solomon's commercial imagery, if he'd said, well, what if my ships are lost? What if pirates are roaming the coast? What if the prices have shifted by the time they carry my goods to some other place? What if they never come back? What if sickness rips through the crew? You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to sit on my finances. I'm not going to send it out. Well, that was one of the means that the Lord used to increase the wealth of Solomon but there was a risk involved especially in those days in putting your your goods onto a boat a vessel in order to send it away and you'd have to wait for 3 years before it came back but it's that kind of investment that kind of calculated risk that kind of bold gesture cast cast your bread it's a real investment And whether or not we're talking about your worldly goods or your your seed for sowing or simply what God has provided you in order to do good to others, it is a challenging and a costly thing. Bread is precious. This is something that matters to you. This isn't you giving away your spare change, as it were. This is biting into your capital. This is making a substantial investment whether it's seed or goods or gifts. And it's your bread. I can't give away your bread. I can give away mine. You can't give away my bread, but you can give away yours. There's something that you've been given, that you are now casting upon the waters. And again, whether we're in that commercial realm or the agricultural realm or the charitable realm, it's the sense of some kind of uncertainty. Now, it's not stupidity, but it is uncertainty. Where are the fruitful places? Are these hopeful places? Are these unlikely places? You make investments that don't bring a particular return. You've cast your bread upon the waters. There doesn't seem to be any short-term impact. You walk away from your Sunday school class or from your Bible study or from your conversation with your friends or from your your, your chat with a neighbour and nothing seems to have happened. But you're acting not with folly but with faith. You're casting your bread upon the waters. You're doing it in hope. And expectation. Now, there is a challenge to us in the call of the preacher, because the world would look at the work that we do as a church and say, "What a waste." We talk about sermons and lessons and conversations and letters and tracts and texts and emails and articles and essays and, and, and finances and whatever else it may be. The church says, "Do you have any idea what you could have done with that time?" The world says, do you have any idea how much fun you could have had or how much uh, usefulness you could have done? Because the world esteems these things worthless. But the church can think too much like that as well. The why bother mentality. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we go on reaching out? Why do we go on investing? Why do we go on planning? Why do we reach further afield? Why do we seek to do the things that we do? After all, don't we live in the day of... What's the phrase we all love? The day of small things. What's the point of making big investments in the day of small things? What's the point of trying hard in the day of small things? What's the point of labouring for God when God has written Ichabod over the church in the modern generation? What's the point of preaching the gospel when nobody is being converted? What's the point of uh, giving uh, time and energy to people who don't want to hear what we've got to say? So much of the work that you and I do is unobtrusive and unpromising it's a casting of our bread upon the waters I can tell you that even as a pastor and a preacher my, my wife will tell you she'll come out and say what have you done today? nothing how long did it take you? 14 hours so far what do you mean 14 hours of nothing well i I had to do this and then i had that phone call i I visited that person i I had to write that letter then i had to respond to that and what i mean is i had a plan (laughs) and i didn't do any of the things that i planned and you can feel like the 14 hours is 14 hours of nothing can't you like You've made a lot of effort, you've made a lot of investment, you've been at work, you've tried to engage with people, you've spoken, there's a, 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 almost a silent witness going on, there's an ongoing testimony. You think, is there really any point? What have we accomplished? Where are we getting to? Cast your bread upon the waters. And at the end of a book where the preacher has looked vanity in the eye, he's still calling us to cast our bread upon the waters. And he does so in the light of a particular comfort which he offers. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. This is the promise that sustains our casting of our bread upon the waters. As you said, it doesn't mean that there's a a soggy slice of home-baked whatever that floats back on the waves after a while if it's commerce, it may be, you know, those ships that went out for three years and now they've come back loaded with the fruit of trade. Agriculture, if you've cast your seed into the waters, then maybe when the harvest time comes, it's springing up and bringing forth its fruit. Or if it's the charitable and the philanthropical emphasis, it may be that there's going to be ultimately some kind of return on your investment. But the preacher's promise here is not that you Will get all that you wanted, not that you will receive everything that you might have expected, not that you will obtain all you could have demanded, not even that you will see everything that you wished. But if you are one of God's people and you are living in God's world, then there is by divine determination and blessing a return. On the investments that you make. You labour in expectation and you press on in patient and fervent hope. Now, in terms primarily then of our gospel labours and investments, of the words that we speak of the money that we send, of the time that we take, of the energy that we give as God's people in this place. When we cast our bread upon the waters, where will we find it after many days? You'll find it after many days in this life. Perhaps you will see a blessing before you close your eyes in death. On the work that you have done. One of the, the commentators on this text uh, tells the story about George Whitfield. Preaching, I think it was in Philadelphia. And Whitfield, many of you will know, was a gripping and powerful preacher. His, his ability with words in, a, in an age as well, when people weren't bamboozled with images on screens, he could make people almost see what was going on before them. And there was a, a little boy, a, a young man, who came to hear him speak. And this young man was carrying a lantern in order to be able, perhaps it was late at night, to see where he was going. And he became so transfixed with what Whitfield was saying that the lantern slipped from his nerveless, nerveless fingers and smashed on the ground. Whitfield jumped and everybody around him could hear it and got disturbed and gave this young lad a very hard time. Years later, when Whitfield was back in the same part of America, he was speaking to an eminent preacher... In the region, and they were talking about his previous labors in the place, and Whitfield was talking about some of these unusual events that had taken place during his preaching, and he said to the the eminent preacher about this time when this young lad had been carrying the lantern, it slipped from his fingers, and he'd been disturbed, and the congregation had been annoyed and frustrated, and said, "I've often thought to myself what happened to that young man," and the preacher said. I am that young man. Some of you will know the name Luke Short. Anybody thought I was going to say Luke Campbell? I wasn't. Luke Short. You ever heard of Luke Short? I hope some of you know that. Okay, I'm going to introduce you to Luke Short. Luke Short was a cabin boy on a sailing vessel in the 17th century. And he lived in the southwest of England. And down in the southwest of England, Luke Short once heard a man called John Flavel, a minister in the town of Dartmouth, preaching a gospel sermon. And Flavel has a a whole book of uh, uh, sermons to sailors. He knew them very well. He he knew how to apply the gospel to these men and use their language and their images and their illustrations. And amongst his congregation on that occasion, there was this little lad called Luke Short. Luke Short emigrated to America. Luke Short, if I remember correctly, became a farmer. And he had an orchard of apple trees. And in his 90s, Luke Short was sitting under one of his apple trees enjoying the last days of his life when God brought to mind the preaching of a man called John Flavel decades before in Dartmouth in another country. And the words of John Flavel flashed with force into the mind and heart of Luke Short. And what, 70 years after hearing a sermon, he was converted by the sermon he'd heard 70 years before Now, Mr Flavel had gone to be with Christ by that point, but I'm talking about lifetimes. My friends, you don't know if in this life you will see a return on your gospel investments. You don't know if before your days here end, there will be people who are saved and sanctified, people who are built up and blessed because of words that you have spoken. Just for a moment, if you're a Christian here, how many people have you told about Jesus Christ in your lifetime? What about this year? How many conversations? How many tracts? How many knocks on the door? How many chats over coffee? How many incidental words? What if a tenth of the people... That you've spoken to over this year or over your lifetime were converted in the next 12 months. Can God do that? He can. I'm not promising that he will. What I'm saying is that in your lifetime you may yet get a message or a note or a text. Some of you will know a man called David Ellis. used to uh, be a pastor in Cookfield. Mr Ellis was at a... uh, A special event, I think it was uh, in his home country of Ireland. And he and his friends used to, to go out on a Saturday night, it might even have been in Dublin, and preach the gospel on the street corner. And they were reminiscing about this, I think it was some kind of anniversary event for something. And Mr. Ellis had spoken about this, and somebody came up to him afterwards and poked him in the chest and said, Are you one of those men? One of which men? Are you one of the men who used to stand on the corner of this street and that street and shout on a Saturday night? Yeah. Now bear in mind that they, as far as they knew, had never seen a single conversion as a result of their work. And that man who was poking Mr Ellis in the chest said, That was the first time I ever heard about Jesus Christ. It was 30 or 40 years before. My friends, we do not know if the bread that is cast upon the waters will come back to us in this life. What about after death? Will the bread cast upon the waters be found by us after many days? You see, what will God's people hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't it wonderful to think that if you are faithful in your days, even though you may not in this life see your bread come back to you, the first part of your eternal reward will be the commendation of your Saviour and your Master for the work that you have done for him. Well done, good and faithful servant. And there is some consolation in the fact that he doesn't just say, well done, good and fruitful servant. But well done, good and faithful servant. You have discharged your duties and responsibilities well for me. You'll gain a new perspective. You'll begin enjoying your rest and your reward. I'm going to save some of those possibilities for later on because I I want you to see that not only at the moment of death, but what about the day of judgment? What about the great day of reckoning when everything is weighed and when final rewards are apportioned who knows how long after you some of the good things that God has given you to do will bear their fruit some of you have invested in this building for how long will the gospel be preached here some of you have invested your your time or your money in the in the work of the, the the gospel ministry You don't know if maybe that person who's saved in 10 years' time might become, like in Mr. Whitfield's case, a preacher of the gospel themselves. And there may be a a tracing back, like veins of silver in the rock. It'll be how many echoes of grace, how many ripples of divine mercy have begun in your life if you are faithful to cast your bread upon the waters. And then you think of eternity after the day of judgment, the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, when your cup will be running over, and not only will you enjoy the smile of Christ, but you might see the fruit of your labours. Can you imagine a man called Luke Short tugging on the sleeve of a man called John Flavel? So, that Mr Flavel? Yes. It's me. It's Luke Short. I'm sorry. I'm not sure. Maybe in heaven there's that kind of uncertainty. Mr. Flavel, when we were upon earth, you preached a sermon in Dartmouth, and I heard that sermon preached. You were God's means of blessing my soul. You were the one who did me this good. Will you be a Sunday school teacher? And there are people who come up and say, you taught me these lessons. You spoke to me about these things. You instructed me in these truths. Someone will say to you, perhaps, or, or you may discover that the track that you dropped through a door that you thought was uh, to a, a house where no one was there, somebody picked it up and, and read it. Or perhaps you'll, in some measure, a little like Christ himself be there saying, here am I and the children that you have given to me. Samuel Rutherford used to say, he wrote in one of his letters, that his heaven would be two heavens to him. Because he would be enjoying it and so would the people whom he had served as a way under God of bringing them to glory be enjoying it. My friends, you cast your bread upon the waters and God says in his word you will find it After many days. It may be many days of this life. It may be when this life ends. It may be at the day of judgment when you begin to get a sense of what has been accomplished in the purposes of God through your labors. And it may be through eternity. As God in his mercy smiles upon the work that he gave you to do and you over the course of time developable course of time in eternity. I mean think of the fellowship that we might enjoy in the glory to come. Will anybody in this congregation come up to you and say, you may not remember this? But there was a conversation we had when I was at a very low point. There was a note that you wrote. We may never grasp all the fruit of all the prayers that are raised all the words that are spoken, all the efforts that are made. But if you cast your bread upon the waters, it will return to you after many days. Why? Because nothing that is done for the Lord is truly lost, even though in the shorter term it may seem to be without immediate value. You think of the the words of Psalm 126 again. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Or in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. There you've got the... Uh, The parable, just before the parable of the great supper, the lowly place. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbours, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see how even that kind of uh, story or principle that the Lord gives is saying, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it again after many days. You know the parable of the unjust steward in Luke chapter 19, uh, 16 rather, from verse 9. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Think of that, my friends. That the, the, the bag of food that you might leave at a hungry person's door. The care that you might take of your brothers and sisters. The gift that you might give to somebody who's in need. But there will come a point when you are welcomed into glory by some of the people whom you have assisted. God is no man's debtor. It may not be everything that you had desired. It may not be everything that you had expected. It won't be everything if you're in the spirit of demanding. It may not be all and when you had wished and hoped. But if you cast your bread upon the waters, you will find it after many days. So the preacher calls you. And the preacher comforts you. And now this preacher wants to counsel you briefly in the light of these things. First of all, brothers and sisters, keep casting. Isn't that an obvious lesson? Keep casting. Whether or not you think your ships are lost at sea, or your seed has floated away on the wave, or your investment, your giving, your labour has come to nothing, do it not less, but more, in the light of this promise. You see, our instinct, I think, perhaps, certainly I feel it in myself, you make that effort, you make that investment, you try that thing, and perhaps you do it again and again and again. Don't we reach the point at which we feel like saying, what is the point? Why do this again? So what do we do at that point? Well, I'll give you two options. Do something more and do something else. Rather than say this isn't working, I remember years ago saying there was a situation, why don't we try this as a church? Why don't we make this kind of effort? Do you know what I was told? Well, we did that 30 years ago. It doesn't work. Well, why don't we do it again? Maybe under God it will work this time. We've been doing this all year and nothing's come of it. Well, let's do more of it. Let's get more of us involved. Let's pray more. Let's labour more. Let's do something different. Let's keep on investing. Let's use new ways and means. And if we have not yet seen the bread cast upon the waters found after many days, let's cast more bread upon the waters. Let's make more investments now. Let's seek more. Let's try more. Let's do more as God God enables us. Let's be more generous. Let's be more eager. Let's be more laborious. Let's make more sacrifices. Let's serve with holy risk and righteous abandon. That if we have not yet seen the returns for which we have longed and sought, that we will keep casting our bread upon the waters. Keep casting. And then keep trusting don't hold back and don't give up brothers and sisters i'm preaching as much to myself as to any man or woman here beloved friends offer what you sow you cast you give you send to the lord of the harvest in prayer plead with him this lies with him he is the rewarder he is the giver It is when the Lord prospers the work that the work is prospered. It is not our strength. It is not our wisdom. It is not even our effort. Those are the means that God is pleased to employ. Do we believe that God is true to his word? Do we believe that these are ways and means by which God will bless his people, will glorify his name, will extend his kingdom? Put the promises of the Lord before you when you are discouraged and distressed. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days and go on laboring in calm confidence. I think there's a, so a friend of mine, somebody once told me that the preaching is the greatest insanity in the world. Because you get up every time and you expect something different to happen. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Keep preaching, keep teaching, keep serving, keep giving, keep laboring, keep talking, keep writing. Keep investing. You may say you've only got a, a handful of corn to scatter. well send it far and wide. And keep hoping. My friends, this is not aimless, worthless and pointless. If it were, why would we bother? Don't we believe that God is well able to bestow his blessing In his time, can God give a rich return? Some of you heard about, uh, when we were talking about the the reviving power of God, you heard of men who laboured all their lives and saw almost nothing by way of saving blessing, and then in one sermon God was able to save hundreds and pleased to do so. Do you believe that that could happen? do you believe that if we go out on the doors on the fields and knock on someone's door that the next time we do that it is well within the power and grace of god that rather than coming back here and saying, well i had an argument with this person i had a struggle with that person and three people slammed the door in my face and i talked about lizards and lizard gods to one person for about 35 minutes before i could get away we might come back and say i spoke to somebody and they said, I've been looking for somebody who'd tell me where to find peace. And someone else has had a wonderful conversation with somebody who's been reading their Bible and they've just got converted and they, they want to come to church on the Lord's Day. And we say to somebody else, someone started so angrily, but by the time we had finished speaking, there were tears in their eyes and they asked me if I would come in and pray with them that God would have mercy. Why Why not? Are you hear this one? Well, that doesn't happen. That won't happen. That can't happen, my friends. That's unbelief. That's doubting the power and the goodness of God. Keep casting, and keep trusting, and keep hoping, because there's a God in heaven. Who blesses his people in accordance with his wisdom and his power and his goodness? There are men and women in this town. There are boys and girls in this neighborhood for whom we believe God has great blessings marked out. Will you go and find them? Will we do what we can to reach them? Why do we believe those things? Because we believe that there are many from every kingdom and tribe and tongue and nation. And some of us are already here. Why can God not bring in more? And my friends, keep looking. Keep your eyes fixed on God. Not so much on what you give and how you invest, but on the God who blesses. Keep your eyes fixed above all on the Lord Jesus Christ, because without him, we have nothing to anticipate. First of all, in terms of the blessing on our faith. See, the world will tell you faith is worthless. Faith is pointless. Are you trusting in Jesus to save you from your sins? That's a holy investment. That's a heavenly boldness. And Christ will never turn away those who trust in him. Some of you have said, some of you perhaps are saying, but I've tried. I've, I've prayed. I've asked. I've looked. My friends, God will never disappoint the one who calls upon him. Perhaps it may be that even now, as you have prayed and pleaded, that the Lord is breeding in your soul a deeper sense of conviction than might otherwise have been the case. If you trust in your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, you will not and cannot be disappointed. Trust him for salvation. And remember the man who cast his bread upon the waters. What did they say about the Lord Jesus in his lifetime? How did they esteem him and his work? What did it look like when the man who was God's son hung upon the cross of Calvary? Bloodied, bruised, beaten with his life's blood trickling out. There were those who mocked him and scorned him. Ha, he saved others, but he can't save himself. His own disciples despaired. We thought that he was going to be king for us in Israel, but it's been three days since he died. He shall see the travail of of his soul and be satisfied this above all is the man who cast his bread upon the waters who laid down his life who taught his disciples who went about doing good and you might have said what has he got to show for it He has to show for it an everlasting kingdom. He has to show for it an innumerable host. He has to show for it the pleasure of his heavenly father. My friends, we're serving as Christ served. We don't know for ourselves when the bread cast upon the waters will be found. But we are told it will be after many days. When Christ, on the great day of his return, comes into the presence of his fathers, his Father, he will say, Here am I and the children that you have given me. With him, an innumerable host of redeemed men and women. He himself said that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it can produce no fruit. Doesn't sound like the most glorious strategy in the world, does it? Dying. But by dying, he brought forth an abundant harvest. (coughs) And we're called into the same course, into the same life of faith, into the same pattern of obedience. Into the same labor of sacrifice. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. So if you start looking back over the last year, if you start looking back over the course of your your parenting, or your teaching, or your witnessing, or your serving, or your giving, or your teaching, or your preaching, all those contacts, all those efforts, all those investments. As you look back, look up. Because God has said, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And as God's people here, individually and together, let us keep casting and keep trusting and keep hoping and keep looking. Amen.